Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes and soothing decibels. This is episode 41, so welcome to a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture. This is a place where the superfluous is of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss the actual score of the oiled-up shirtless volleyball game in Top Gun, why Billy Bob Thornton is simultaneously overrated and underrated, and whether Toby Flenderson truly is the Scranton Strangler. No quote is too minor, no side plot is too small. This is a pod for the TV geeks and the movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers, your boredom ends here. So, woo, I got it. Yeah, that was uh, take number seven or eight. And I don't know how to edit anything, so I have to go all the way through every time. So every time I get through that intro, I'm going to do a little, woo, little, little celebratory dance, maybe, even though I, I can't dance. I really can't. I tried taking lessons in high school, and the teacher was like, you're, you're hopeless. <laughs> Just flail on your own. <laughs> so uh, before I delve into the topic at hand, I want to talk about just five minutes of Seinfeld level kind of daily observations. So first off, Max Volume has a new logo and I love it. It's a punk rock duck with a denim jacket. He's got some spiked boots. He's got some cool pins on the denim jacket. I think I saw a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a flaming skull, a little snake. He's got a pink mohawk and I've decided I want to adopt him. I'm gonna name him John Ralphio Sanders. He likes go-karts and long walks. And my beautiful friend Abbas kindly let me use him as my, as my logo. So he's really, really, really talented. I have six or seven tattoos designed by him. And off the top of my head, I think I have Daft Punk dancing on my left angle. I have a pink monkey holding a grenade with his tail, like the pin, so it won't explode. That's on my shin, right shin. I have Pusheen, the cartoon cat, wrapped around my ankle, rolling in money, Scrooge McDuck style. I got Dead Mouse being kissed on the cheek by an early 90s San Francisco rave edition of Minnie Mouse, uh, complete with candy bracelets and furry boots. So that's fun. I have a giant Fallout Boy Adventure Time kind of mashup tattoo. That's a plane crash because it's like sugar, we're going down swinging kind of vibe. And I have one on my back left calf. That's me and him as two jugs of milk, just kind of laughing with each other. And I can't recall why I have that or why I got that, but it's an homage to his and I's strange and beautiful friendship. And his artwork is on sale at Bagman Studios. So www.bagman, like a guy with a bag on his head, uh, studios. And it's the best neon-based dinosaur and large animal in hilarious situation art money can buy. So trust me. And so just check it out. But on a more serious note, um, I had a weird thought today. Does anyone know anybody who hates the band Bare Naked Ladies? Right? Just think about it for a second. I can't think of a single person. Because there's this show I'm watching called Community. And there was a bit about how everyone fiercely defends that band. And at first I thought it was just, you know, random obscure humor. They just closed their eyes and picked in a... Uh, an index that of like bands, just what brand of band to talk about. But then I started thinking about it and I can't think of one time someone said something disparaging about the bare naked ladies, just zilch. There's nothing. They're universally beloved. So why are they universally beloved? It's gotta be the Canadianness of them. I mean, they're half weird Al cause they're kind of comical and they're half hoodie and the blowfish cause they're mildly catchy and harmless. And it's just fascinating that a band like that just has no ill will. No one hates them. And I love them too, honestly. Uh, I used to watch Total Request Live and wait for their video for one week to come up because it was like the one song that I felt cool because I knew the lyrics to. And 
and this is also sad, I memorized how many drum beats it was from the long pause in the song in the middle. And it's 31 drum beats. And I still proudly like shout that fact whenever the song is played and someone else is around. I just have to show off for some reason because that makes me sound really cool. And I guess the Bare Naked Ladies really had something. But today I don't want to discuss Bare Naked Ladies. I would rather discuss one of the best dressed men in television history. I'm talking about the Madison Avenue dreamboat, the philandering, unreliable drunkard who sometimes stole our hearts, Mr. Don Draper of AMC's Mad Men. So first I wanted to do a whole show on Mad Men, but the, the show's too dense. And it's six seasons, or seven if you want to count the last one as being a split season, but I hate when they do that. That's one season. Game of Thrones, you're lying to people. Breaking Bad, lying to people. That's one season. You just, for ratings, you decided to make it two. I don't like it. But seven, six seasons, 13 episodes of pop, 41 minutes and 57 seconds each. That's like, that's way too much to cover. And this show, it kind of didn't have a point. It was more just these people living their lives from 1960 to 1970 in this advertising agency as America changed. So there's a lot of, I mean, there, there's a lot of things to discuss. I mean, there's like Rogers dealing with growing old. Peggy is making it as a female in the workplace in America. And I mean, I can go on and on. I mean, I can get off a, on a rant here and I end up three hours, four hours later still talking about, you know, uh, Mad Men. I don't want to do that. I want this to be an auditory kind of appetizer of a place. I don't want 11 course meals. I want this light and fluffy and you come out of this feeling refreshed. You're like, oh, I got 20, 35 minutes of pop culture. Let me get back to work or changing this baby or I don't know, whatever whatever it is adults do. Do they mow lawns? I've never mowed my lawn. So does that do adults like doing that or is that work? It seems like 50-50 split. But anyways, I'm focused on Don Draper. So before I dive into Don the character, I have to talk about the marble statue of masculinity that is John Hamm, the actor who played him. And I need everyone to go on their computer right now, go on Google, I'll give you a minute, just take your time, go on your phone, and search John Hamm, Hamm spelled H-A-A-M, a little bit weird, football. Search John Hamm football on Google and just marvel at the spectacle of John Hamm in either high school or college as a football player. He just looks like a god. And that's, I mean, that's the lead for the show. And now normally this is me just being creepy, uh, being overly descriptive about how beautiful another human being is. But I'm, actually this is crucial to the core of Don Draper as a character. I'm serious this time. Usually it's just me ogling, you know, someone I'm like, look at that chin. Hmm. Or look at that hair. Yeah. Or it's every, it's all the stuff I don't have. I don't have a great chin and I'm losing my hair. So I, whenever I see stuff that I want, I'm like, hmm, that's, that's a good, good looking guy. But the guy who created the show, Matt Weiner, I think that's his name. Weiner? I hope it's, no, I think it's Weiner. <laughs> God, seven. Matt Weiner. Uh, why, why would I say it louder? I think I'm going to laugh less. <laughs> Matt, we'll call him Matt, <laughs> uh, said Don Draper was created to, to see what someone could get away with if they looked like a 1960s astronaut in 1960 to 1970s America and get away with things Don Draper does. Because even though he's a high up executive at a major New York advertising firm, uh, I think it's called Sterling Cooper, and from 1960 to 1970, he's constantly late or absent from work. He just takes days off. He's drunk half the time, sometimes to the point of incapacitation. I always drink Canadian Club. And I, I don't get, can someone enlighten me? Maybe someone 
I don't know if anyone who was around in the 60s and was drinking is on this podcast. I mean, that would make them uh, 70s, 80s. So <laughs> if, uh, if Grandpa could tell me why Canadian Club was a cool thing to drink, because for me, it's only when we had blues concerts or like soul concerts uh, across the street from the bar I worked at. That's all people would drink. But otherwise, just one bottle sits for like a year. So, and it's not very good. So I don't know. I don't know why Don Draper makes it look cool or why. I mean, I guess it was a big deal, probably. Who knows? I mean, in 1960, a lot of things were cooler and there was probably less options. Probably, was there makers back then or, can, or Canadian Club? No, Canadian Club was there. Crown Royal? I don't know. What, what was around back then? I have no idea. Anyways, I mean, the failures of Don Draper numerous affairs that he blows up multiple marriages and he's actually living a secret life as Don Draper. And you should have known cause that name's too cool. Just Don Draper. Fun to say. I mean, that's what makes him iconic. He's actually, he was a poor rural uh, dude who, who lived in a whorehouse uh, in like the twenties and thirties. His name's Dick Whitman. And he stole the dog tags off a dead Lieutenant in the Korean war uh, whose name was Don Draper and kind of took over his life. And then that's how he kind of moved up in the world. So you know what consequences befall him from all this stuff? I mean, can you guess? I mean, is it a, is it a lesson learned or is it, you know, a moral of the story kind of thing? No. Zilch. Nada. Goose egg. Draper learns nothing. He keeps getting promoted. More women enter his life and just fantastic women. Like the best looking women on TV or on the show. Just my God. And he kind of acts like it's all expected anyhow. And because of that beautiful mug, that confidence, you know, the thin tied suits, the Chesser cat grin, the thick rock glasses he holds, like just holding whiskey in his right hand and the unfiltered cigarette in his left hand. And he just expects it all and it comes to him. And the charm just kind of pours out of him like breakfast cereal into an oversized novelty bowl. Hmm. Could go for some cinnamon toast crunch right now. Shout out cinnamon toast crunch. You made my childhood worth living. Saturday morning with that stuff. That was fantastic. But uh, Don and the show have this very unique mysticism because Don doesn't really have to learn any true lessons. There isn't a giant character arc for us to root for. You pretty much realize season by season one, the end of it, you're like, okay, this is who I'm getting. And then you kind of hope, you know, by episode four or five or season, you're like, oh, maybe he's going to learn something. He looks like he's towards a breaking point. But nope, just kind of reverts right back. And because of that, the show kind of feels like life because uh, sometimes the confident, handsome guy can flaunt and flail his shortcomings around and he can still rise in the world. It's not a big deal. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter that he has all these failures. It's just, I mean, you just look at him and you just want him to be a part of your company or you want him to date your daughter or uh, his kids always forgive him for some reason too. He's terrible he's the worst parent i've ever seen on tv not the worst i mean there's there's some parents that put their kids in like actual danger he's not doing that but he's just ignoring them for the most part but there is a unique part of this show and i mean i think matthew weiner's uh like right he wrote for the sopranos so he has this kind of he understands bad people and can kind of make you sympathize and have empathy for them because don is kind of in on the joke he realizes like he can have the new Cadillac, the Fifth, ha- Fifth Avenue penthouse, the stunning French fiance. And even though he's at the top of this 1960s uh, capitalist kind of Americana, he kind of looks around and he goes, this is it. This is all my dreams. You know what I mean? This is what I hope for. And he's not satisfied. 
And you kind of, it's weird. You kind of feel for him. You're like, oh, you know what I mean? What's worse than achieving your dreams and it not being everything it's cracked up to be? Sometimes it's worse than getting anywhere. Like my friend Morris is a Lions fan and he says he's tortured, you know, by never winning and, you know, never getting anywhere. But try, try having a perfect season with the Patriots and, you know, a no-name receiver who never plays in the NFL again catches a miraculous ball against his helmet and that ends your perfect season. I mean, sometimes it hurts when you get to the top and then you realize then there's a fall or that it does, it's not all it's cracked out to be. So it's very kind of Greek mythology. You know, it resonates. It feels like King Sisyphus running, uh, rolling that ball up a hill every day, you know, only to have it rolled back down. And it kind of resonates no matter the generation. I think this Don Draper is kind of universal. And you're always waiting for Don to finally be thankful or grateful or appreciative, but it never comes. And it's like the popular girl kind of in high school who ignored you. You know what I mean? Shout out Emily Mitchell, Allie Cherney, Mara Bartek. Those are the three that come to mind. I mean, they didn't do anything to me. They're just, they were just cool. And I was just nervous and hyperventilating around pretty girls. So I'm sure, sure they're nice people actually. It's just, they were cool when I wasn't. Uh, like I said, like they, when they ignore you, they become iconic. They become memorable. They become godlike. They kind of crystallized and cool. By the way, I want to know anyone who got ignored by the popular girl in high school, text me that person's full name. I want to know who it was. I just want to hear that random full name. It's always fun to hear someone's name that you knew in high school, the full one. It kind of just resonates with me. I'm using resonate a lot. I don't know why. Well, it's a good word. Yeah, I just picture it like resonating, like vibrations. Anyways, <laughs> uh, small rant. Uh, but Don really rarely does his job well or he treats him he doesn't really treat himself or anyone around him with respect and it kind of amplifies the rare moments that he does so there's one one scene at the end of season one where he's pitching to the polaroid people or kodak people this uh carousel kind of polaroid slide machine and he's got that gravelly voice you know the perfect suit and you know he's he's in shape and in, in the 1960s to be like muscular it wasn't like it was a bigger deal. You know I mean? We didn't have the weightlifting technology. So just him being a strapping guy, I think affected more people. And he's talking about this twinge of nostalgia that this product will bring, you know what I mean? That you can look forward, you can look back. And he's showing pictures of him and his perfect family, you know, just eating hot dogs and uh, kissing on new years with like glitter in their hair and, you know, riding on swings while he's smoking a cigarette, just Americana just all over. And he's talking about advertising kind of being the ointment for an itch for something new. And, you know, the lights are dimmed. And when he's on, he's just on. I think one of the other advertisers in the room had to run out of the room because he was crying because it was such an emotional moment. And so when he's with it, he could sell ice to a polar bear. Or let me, let me think of something that's more 2020, okay? He could sell 10,000 N95 masks to a beach full of Karens. How's that work? Is that... That's pretty pandemic-y, all right? That's not bad. Yeah, and Don Draper could do it. He could pull it off. And that glimpse of command and excellence encased in this astronaut shell is what makes Don Draper a forever character in the world of television. He's, you know, he's on the top 10 list of leading men that kind of compelled these epic seasons of really important anti-hero television. It's this, The Sopranos, which, I mean, Wiener wrote both, so that's pretty crazy. Uh, Breaking Bad, The Wire, and I think that's the four. I mean, I don't know if anything's replaced it since, but I think that's the four of modern television. Those are the fathers of what is now on TV today. 
So, I mean, he's frustrating to watch. He really is. But you can't help but watch him. You know what I mean? It's like watching a car that can go – it's watching a Ferrari. You know what I mean? It could go 250 miles an hour, but it could also, you know, wrap itself around a tree. So, that's more exciting than watching a Nissan go 35 miles an hour in, you know, a school zone. Actually, that's too fast. Going 15 miles an hour in a school zone? I don't. I haven't been in many school zones lately. I'm not, I'm not flooring it either. Speed bumps. And I don't have a Nissan, but – I actually like Nissans. Nissans are underrated cars. They're just, I don't know. The Nissan Maxima was cool. I just want, I kind of wanted one. But anyways, Draper. So all-time character, just wanted to talk about him. And I think I'm going to go watch that carousel pitch scene like 13 more times before bed. So damn you, John Hamm. And damn you, Matt Wiener, for your hilarious name. But most of all, damn you, Don, Don Draper, for being in my life and still resonating, I don't know, 10 years after you've been gone. So you still affect me. Later.